Good morning, everybody. Here again, Levin with Xander and our podcast titled Eat When You Can, Sleep When You Can, and Don't Fuck With The Pancreas. We're here for our second episode of the podcast. Um, we decided to pull out some papers and try to make an outline of what we talk about. And right now, the paper is empty. It's blank. <laughs> Completely blank. Uh, Dr. Buttress over there started to write something, and I said, you know what, let's just talk about this week. That's going to be the theme of our podcast moving forward, I think, is going to be talking about what it looks like to be a resident. The weekly ins and outs of what do we do? What is it like? What time, what time do I wake up? What time do I go into work? What patients do I see? What do they look like? What are the questions I'm getting asked? All the things that I think other residents are going through and the frustrations they feel and the things that all the medical students out there want to know and don't know. Um, we've all been there and, and weren't sure what it really looks like to be a resident. So, you know, I, I think moving forward, the way we structure this is we're going to tell you all about our weeks, what rotations we're on, who we're seeing, what the day was like, funny encounters, bad encounters, all of it, what we do outside of work. We're going to, we're just going to spill it all out there. What life is like as a surgery resident. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll kick it off. Um, you know, of what, what this month started off as, because that's the thing with residency is it varies so much month to month, depending on what rotation you're on. You can have lighter rotations. You can have ICU months where you just are getting your ass kicked for 30 days straight, minimal sleep, working a ton of hours. Um, but it all varies and some are better than others. So right now we're, we're just coming out of January and what anyone in surgery knows is that that means abcites over, um, the abcite exam being the in surgery, in service training exam, which we take every year, uh, which is usually a daunting um, thing on the horizon throughout the winter, uh, but it's now in the past, which means it's already a a better month. Uh, February, I'm starting off on pediatrics. Uh, in our residency, pediatrics is something you start either as a prelim resident or if you're a PGY two, you start rotating with the kiddos. Um, Peds is a great rotation. We have four attendings, uh, very different personalities, all four of them. Um, but it's a good rotation. You get to do a lot of operating. Um, and there's always two of us on service. I'm with a PGY three right now and she's awesome. And so we're going to have a great month, um, getting in the OR a bunch. Uh, but the PEDS rotation allows for plenty of life outside of uh, residency because we don't take call during the week. We only take call, uh, every other weekend, uh, in which you're on home call for the entire weekend. Uh, so that means I'll come in in the morning, uh, round on my patients and then, as things come in through the ED, we'll operate on that if we have to. We see consults. Uh, but when the work is done, I can go home, uh, which makes, even if you come home only for an hour to get called back in, it's it does a lot for the mental health just being out of the hospital. Um, and it's great because we don't have to take call during the week, and that's nice. Um, <clears throat> so it that's, is nice. It is nice. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> the thing you said about the mental health, you know, it's that's huge here in 2023. Uh, we have conversations and topics and discussions about this probably once a month, at least in our residency and, and the mental health. And, um, you know, it is a big deal and it is something to acknowledge that is going on in 2023. And it is important as a surgery resident, I think, to be able to find a way to um, tailor what mental health is to you and making sure that, you know, you are doing things to um, invest time into your mental health. Um, but yeah, PEDS rotation, awesome rotation in, in Chattanooga, a fun rotation. Um, you get to see you know, it's a big children's hospital here. We get to do a lot of surgery every single day. They have a PICU. They have an NICU. Um, so you get to see some really acutely ill kids. And um, it, 
I enjoy that rotation. So it's one of my favorites. And, and like you said, home call is just is is really nice. It's one of the few times we get to take home call when we're not a chief on this on the um, residency service. And um, you know, it is nice to better come home on the weekends and potentially uh, not have to go in. <laughs> yeah, Doc. So on the on the topic of call, you know, that's something that if you're outside of medicine, it's kind of just you hear like, oh yeah, I'm on call this weekend. I, I had call last night, you know, but if you're not in medicine, maybe people don't quite understand what that means. For us on a normal rotation, if you're on call, let's say it's a Wednesday and you're on call Wednesday night, what does that mean? What does that entail for you? Yeah. So, you know, call and surgery residency is a beast in and of itself. On a Wednesday, if you tell me I'm on call, what that means is I'm going in for a regular work day, usually between the hours of 5 and 5.30 or 6. Depends on how many patients we have on the list at that point in time. Or four. Yeah, <laughs> if there's a lot of patients on the list. Um, but typically, let's just pretend it's between 5 and 6. You show up. You have to see all your patients for that morning. You're around on them. You talk, to them, you talk about as, uh, as a team with all those patients, and then you move forward to surgery for the day. You operate. You see consults in between. You take care of all the floor patients and things that need to be done. Um and then what happens is, as the day goes on, usually our residency transitions between about 4 and 5 o'clock to the on-call team. And if you're the on-call person, um, you've just worked that day, and you're now on-call, everybody else goes home, you send them home, and you're covering call for that service and usually a couple other services. So um, we kind of bunch our services depending on what's going on. We bunch our services into kind of groups, and the call person will cover multiple services for that night. So you'll get check-off from your team, from the other teams, um, you know, you just said you're on PEDS. Our PEDS service will cover the general surgery call, which is, um, you know, things like uh, endocrine surgery and um, hepatobiliary surgery, those big things. The PEDS person will also that night cover our vascular surgery call. And um, the PEDS person covers uh, colorectal. colorectal call. So we have the PEDS person on call that night or anybody in either one of those four services is covering call for all four of those services that night. So beginning at about 5 o'clock that night, everyone leaves. You're carrying four pagers. We call it the Batman belt. And um, any one of those pagers can go off about any of the patients on those uh, on those lists. And so, um, you know, call typically looks like at 5 o'clock, there's usually probably still a case or two running. Um, there's probably still some consults that have just come in to be seen, so you're taking care of those things. And you're all, you're on the rest of that night covering those services until the next morning when your team arrives, usually between, like we said, the hours of five and six. So when all those other teams come there the next day at five and six, you know, you'll typically check out and, and give them their pagers. Um, you continue to hold your pager. If you were on Pete's call, you'll hold the Pete's pager. And then you still see your patients that next morning. Uh, you still, uh, if there's any early morning cases that they need help covering, you'll still cover those. And then typically we try to get people out the hospital by nine o'clock or so. Um, you know, give or take, it's, it's not always perfect, but we do our best to try to get the call people out. I can tell you from personal experience, uh, surgery's just been busy here lately. I think COVID has kind of slowed down enough here in the last year that we've seen the surgery numbers pick back up. So it's not uncommon to take call and be up the majority of the night. Rarely do I sleep at all more than an hour or two of what I like to call interrupted sleep um, because um, majority of the time the pager's going off every 15 to 20 minutes about something and somebody from a floor nurse that you have to t wake up and take care of, wake up, get to the computer, put orders in, or maybe even wake up and go see this person, take care of it. And then you're also getting consults during that time throughout the night. And you may be operating depending on what, uh, you know, call coverage you're covering. So majority of the time, it's easiest to say that when you're on call, it's going to be a 28 hour shift of pretty much being up. Yep. That's what I was going to get to is about how many total hours is that? If you work five to five and you actually leave at nine, which again is the goal is not always the reality. 
Um, and you know, that's not because we have a, you know, cutthroat residency that's going to keep us for 40 hours at a time. There's just some days where you're taking care of patients or there are cases that have to be covered. If there's an emerging case or something, that's your job. Um, and so, you know, 28 hours is a long time and there are plenty of days where you get no sleep. Um, it's funny cause I'll come home from a call shift and my wife will ask, you know, how many hours of sleep did you get? Cause she wants to gauge, you know, how quickly I'll be able to wake back up after a quick nap so that we can go, you know, share a post-call day together. Um, but even if I say two hours, it's never two hours of uninterrupted sleep. I get a epic message every, if I'm in the unit, it's every <laughs> five minutes, 10 minutes about, you know, sometimes pretty simple stuff that debatably didn't need a message. Other times it's your patients crashing and you got to run to one of the ICUs. Um, but either way, it, it's, you can't, you're lying if you say it's peaceful, uninterrupted, restful sleep. Because even if you fall asleep, I mean, it, there's just this underlying anxiety when you're on call because you never know what that pager is going off for. And you, you don't really learn this until you take unit call. Um, but the, when that pager goes off, especially in the ICUs, they'll pretty much epic chat for the simple stuff. When they page, Sometimes it can be a disaster, um, and so it, it gets your, your blood pressure up pretty quick. The moment that goes off at 3 a.m., you're on no sleep. You've had two monsters, and you're just trying to survive. <laughs> um, but so overall, that all being said, call is sometimes pretty grueling, um, but you know it's something we signed up for. I think it's a reality within surgery is that it can be <clears throat> busy throughout the day. You know, People need surgery at all times of day. Um, and it's just kind of something you adjust to uh, when you get here. Yeah, and no, I agree. You know, the, the backbone off that, you know, I think in the future we can have some episodes where we just strictly talk about a call night and what a real call night looks like, you know, minute by minute to kind of give people insight as to, like you said, they don't understand that underlying anxiety that exists. And so many times I've woke up and answered a page and called them and said something and then immediately, you know, get onto Epic and start reading about the patient some more and looking things up. And I'm like, wait, I don't want to do that. Never mind. And send them a message or call them back. And like you said, there is a real underlying anxiety that exists being on call that even when you think yep. you might be sleeping, it's not real sleep. You know, it's, it's, you lay down and shut your eyes, but your brain is running a million miles an hour at whatever you just said about this potential patient on the floor. Um, so it, it, it is funny, but, um, you know, Going back to kind of what we were talking about and just our, our rotations that we're on and what things are looking like, you know, this week, you know, Dr. Butchers is on pediatric surgery right now. I'm on colorectal surgery right now. Um, he's just coming off a of pier for last month. I'm coming off of ICU. The way our residency works is we do um, one month at a time on a certain rotation. Sometimes you can end up on that rotation two months in a row, but for the most part, um, it's, it's the first to the 31st every single month that you're on a certain rotation. And then the next month you move to a different rotation and um, you know, that's the way our residency works. You know, I think we can talk about a little quirk of our residency for anybody that might be interested in coming to UT Chattanooga. Yeah. How and, long is our residency? Yeah. You know, that's, it's six years, you know, the simple answer is six years. It's a six year surgery program. And that's because we devote one year, um, to either research or like you said, the critical care fellowship in the last um, episode that you mentioned you want to go into or the MBA, um, which is something that I'm going to be pursuing. Um, and, you know, the simple answer to that is essentially one year of our six-year program, we're not technically in the residency. We're either pursuing the fellowship, which is um, in our ICU at our hospital, or we're pursuing the MBA, which is in conjunction with UT Knoxville, the main campus, 
or we're doing research, and that is usually broken up into four-month blocks during your second, third, and fourth year. So during your second, third, and fourth year, the people that are doing research, which we have a couple of our classmates doing, they will have, you know, for instance, whenever I'm doing colorectal, he's doing peds. One of our colleagues right now is on his research month. So his job is to knock out some of his research projects. He's still in the call pool. We stay in the call pool, which is seven to eight calls a month, like the call that we just mentioned. Um, so he stays in the call pool and he still gets to cover cases and, and cover cases that go uncovered and cases that he'd like to do. But, um, you know, that's our, our program. When you hear that it's a six year program, that's the reason why they offer you some different alternatives for things you'd like to do. So research has been something that's, that's been popular there and I'll be the second person to be pursuing the MBA and Dr. Butchers will be pursuing the critical care fellowship. Yeah. So when, when you were looking at residencies, um, you know, certain, most general surgery programs are five years long. Uh, which is already a very long time. Uh, six years is pretty daunting. I applied to one program that was seven years long with two dedicated research years. Um, was the six years uh, a deterrent at all? Did that kind of scare you when you were applying? Uh, can you kind of just talk to us about your thought process there? Yeah, I mean, six years, in the grand scheme of things, a one more year sounded like a lot. And there was no doubt when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's that goes on the you're making a list of checks and X's, right? When you're when you're interviewing, and especially for us, we were doing it all virtual, which I think a lot of it still is virtual. But we didn't even get to visit the locations, so we were in just six to eight hour Zoom interviews, and I essentially just had a piece of paper making checks and X's for things I liked and things I didn't like about each program. And yes, this is that was a huge that fell into an X category. There's no doubt. It's a whole extra year of my life. I'm 31 years old. Um, you know, this is a long career path that we pursue. Um, as of right now, I'm set to finish his residency when I'm 35, going on 36, you know, so um, that that is, yeah, you add another year to that, like it doesn't sound like much, but it, it is. But, you know, after talking to a lot of physicians back home and talking to a lot of people that are a lot more knowledgeable about this stuff than me, you know, I fell in love with this program. I fell in love with our program director and our chairman and just everything about this program, the camaraderie, the independence, the autonomy, the confidence, just the, the all the residents. I mean, I this, the minute I was done with this interview, I was like, this is where I'm going, but this is a huge deterrent. But after you talk to people, they'll tell you, you know, one more year when you've invested this much time into it, it really isn't nothing. Because one day when you're 45, you're going to look back and you'll be like, what was one more year? It mm-hmm. wasn't, it, it, it really didn't matter. You know? So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it does right now, but I'm kind of excited about getting an MBA. You know, I have other things that I am interested in. Um, you know, I'm kind of an entrepreneur on the side and I make a lot, I have a lot of investments and things I like to get my hands in. And so, you know, for me to get an MBA during my residency and better finish my residency as a board certified general surgery trained physician and, um, have an MBA to go with that, you know, that's going to be beneficial for me in my career. So I've turned it into something positive and made it something good. And I think a lot of the residents do the same thing. When you get the research months, it's, it's a break, right? It's a chance to like go home and take a breather during your second, third and fourth year, a chance to spend some more time with your family. When you get to do the critical care fellowship, it's a chance to like, you know, invest more into yourself as a physician. So when you leave this program, you're not just a board certified general surgery trained physician. You're also a critical care doctor. You're also an MBA. You're also a physician who has invested a year into research to now pursue further things that you might be interested in. So um, it was a deterrent kind of at first, but it obviously didn't deter me enough because I'm here. Yep, absolutely. Um, I think I, I kind of approach it the same exact way because the, the stuff you get to do during that year is all going to be beneficial to when you get out and you're actually a, a grown up, actually a doctor. Um, you know, I think if you're taking research, that's going to help you potentially get a fellowship. Um, you, you need research experience if you're going to go to fellowship. 
pretty much anything you go into, some more than others. Um, and in a five-year program, you're trying to fit that research in while also getting your cases done that you have to get um, to graduate residency. There's a ca minimum case number, uh, which I don't think any residency programs actually struggle to get your cases. I think in today's world, you're going to hit those numbers pretty easily. Um, but trying to fit in a year of research uh, amongst all that can be really stressful. I think it makes your life even harder. Um, and so having that extra year to you know, fit in some research projects um, while also still you know, you're in the call pool, um, you're operating. You may be operating all night. You're getting those cases in. I think you're just going to come out a more uh, independent and um, confident surgeon by the end of all that. So Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I don't think there's any question about it. And so anybody that's out there that is interested in coming to University of Tennessee at Chattanooga for a surgery residency, um, please reach out to us. Don't hesitate. You know, you can find all of our information um, on the UT website, um, uh, you know, you'll better obviously contact us through email through this podcast as well. But, you know, I would be the first to say, don't let six years be a deterrent, um, in the grand scheme of things at the very end, it's really not going to matter. And I think, you know, it, it will in invest further in what you're looking for in your career and you can make it something positive, but Hey, look, thank you all for hanging out with us. This is the second episode of eat when you can sleep when you can and don't fuck with the pancreas. Hey, y'all, we appreciate y'all listening to today's episode on Don't Fuck With The Pancreas. We hope that you tune in to the next episode. We don't know when it's going to be released. We're so busy. We're just we're putting them out when we get chances to. Uh, we're listening to what you guys tell us. Um, some of y'all send us responses on Instagram. Some of y'all send us direct messages um, on, on TikTok. Whatever it may be, keep reaching out to us. We're going to keep putting this podcast episode out there for you guys. Yeah, email us with episode ideas, with questions you have. Uh, if you want to be featured on an episode, we'd love to have you. If you have something to bring to the table, we'd love to uh, to get you involved in any way possible. Uh, we're, we're posting content on, on TikTok and on Instagram and on YouTube as well. And so continue to tune in, continue to follow us and share it with your friends. Uh, Pre-med students, med students, undergrad students, anybody in the general public, we're trying to reach as many as possible to give you an insight on what it is like day in and day out to be a general surgery resident. Yeah, the only way you're going to find this is on this podcast, guys, DFWTP. You have to find it. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, whatever playlist you might use, whatever podcast servicing you use, listen to it there. Check out our Instagram. It's DFW the pancreas. Check out our TikTok, DFWTP, and you can shoot us on email at dfwthepancreas at gmail.com. Any ideas, anything you want to hear, anything you want from us, let us know. But you got to keep listening. You got to keep sharing it. And y'all tune into the next episode. We'll see you there. Don't fuck with the pancreas.